0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins.: Yes. Anybody feeling the glory today? <laughs> good times, good times. Well, uh, thank you guys for that awesome music. And in case you're coming new here to City Church for the first time, uh, not only is it our grand opening, we've been in a teaching series uh, called 21 Days of Prayer in which we've been committing ourselves to pray every day for 21 days. And in addition to that, we've added to that fasting. And so some people are doing like total food fasts. Others are doing partial fasts, like fasting from meat or dare I say coffee or uh, any type of thing. Some people are fasting from... From social media or internet or tv uh, so we're fasting from things to add power to our prayers and we've said we want to be challenged in our prayers right we don't want to stay in the same spiritual position or place that we were in and sometimes some problems are only solved by both prayer and fasting, and so we're challenging you to get on board with fasting during this time. And if you weren't here last week and you want to start fasting today, you can make it a 14-day fast from something to seek God and revive your soul during this time. Now, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do today is ask you to pray specifically for racial reconciliation, racial reconciliation is going to be important in our prayers. And I think uh, it's not insignificant that tomorrow we march, but today we pray. Prayer always comes first. And that's one of the reasons we made our series declaration is, that, um, it is this. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. I'm going to say the first half. You guys help me by finishing it. You ready? Prayer is our first response. Not our last Good. Because we don't want to be that group of people that, like, only prays when we're in trouble, right? We want to go to God first in prayer and preempt some of the troubles and problems uh, in our lives. And as we pray today for racial reconciliation in our country, uh, some of us would think, well, you know, there was a day when you would say, well, it's not needed to do uh, a church service on racial reconciliation. But then we see things like the shootings in Charleston happen in Charlottesville, and we realize we still have a ways to go, don't we? And so uh, in order to uh, uh, explore this topic, I've asked for some help from my friend Aaron Dockery. Aaron's on the City Church Advisory Board. He's also a teacher here at City Church. And and in addition to all that, it's his birthday today. So would you guys give a warm welcome
1: to Aaron Dockery? Yeah, thank you. It's about our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have right now for such a time as this. God, we pray that you would strengthen us, give us courage in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds to do the right thing and to reach out to one another. Bring us closer together for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. So good morning. Welcome to Dream Week and the grand opening. Uh, When Doug and I, we had actually talked about Uh, this actual talk a few months back and Doug had asked me to share a couple of stories uh, from my past and some of them were a little painful and Doug was like share them all and I'm like yeah that's great. Uh, Nevertheless, so when I grew up uh, I grew up in upstate New York until I was about seven years old and moved to San Antonio, Texas. The majority of people that I hung around with or was around was just predominantly black people and a few Puerto Ricans here and there. And then when I come to San Antonio, great diversity, still hung around black people. And quite honestly, the first portion of my life, I just grew up, I just had a distrust for white people. And if you're white right now, don't worry, this story ends a little bit better. (laughs) My wife is Caucasian, it's okay. Nevertheless, so I grew up, my racial identity was just largely impacted. I didn't mean to have a distrust for white people. I just didn't hang around them a lot, and so I didn't know them. And my parents would do their best to try and teach me about uh, black history. I'd watch documentaries. I'd watch things on the Civil Rights Movement. I remember the Martin Luther King uh, speech watching that as a kid, and my parents telling me how bad and awful things were, and that, you know what, I would have to be 10 times better. My dad would just keep telling me, you have to be 10 times better than the next person. You have to be 10 times better than the next person just to even be acknowledged or be accepted. And, and then I would go to school, and I would get A's, and, and I'd be a great student, and then I'd have my black friends tell me, uh, you're not even black. What what are you trying to do? You think you're better than us? And I wouldn't be accepted by them, and then I'd have other kids who were white who would look at me and they'd say, "Oh, that's not a real A. That's like an affirmative action A. You didn't really earn that." And so here I am. I'm having my identity challenged, and I was just like, "Okay, you know what? If if that's going to be the case, then..." You know, I'm just going to go 100 miles an hour in this direction. I'm just going to be the best I can be, and I don't care who says what. And, and in terms of love and dating, I, I mean, I remember being told I was too dark. I was too light. I was too black. I wasn't black enough. And you hear these things. You hear these things. And then by about the my 20s, I'm in college, and I'm, like, in super pro-black stage. I got my Africa medallion. And... You know, and I had these two like moments, watershed moments in my life that really suddenly everything changed. First moment came, I was taking this American Studies class, and American Studies is the studies of American culture, uh, not just history, but how the culture is formed. And in this class, we started to actually look at all of the races. Oh, I'm sorry, it was based on a book um, by Dr. Ronald Takaki, and it was a book called A Different Mirror. Uh, this book was the second most impact book for my life. The first is the Bible. This book is so critical for me, for me in terms of my knowledge because it literally changed my thinking for the rest of my life. We studied every single culture within America and all of the travesties and all of the things that those cultures had to endure from Irish American to Jewish American to Native American to Mexican-American, and week after week, I mean, the professor said the very first week, I promise you no one in here will have a dry eye. Everybody's gonna cry at least one time this semester. I cried three times, and we were boohooing, total strangers every week, and we were boohooing at the end of class, going to people, and reaching out to them and saying, I'm so sorry for what your race has gone through. I am so sorry. By the end of that semester, no one was above anyone else. And I suddenly was reaching out and I had one of the greatest appreciations for every single race because we've all been through something. We've all been through some type of travesty, but guess what, we are here. We're here and we've actually had an opportunity to come together. The second moment, which was really, really great and really fun. I- <laughs> I joined a group also while I was in college called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And it was non-denominational, and really it was predominantly more white people all around, and it was good, and I was adjusting. And I moved out of my house, and I had three Hispanic roommates. And the people in the group and my roommates, they really started to reach out to me. And for the first time, I was really starting to feel love and acceptance from somebody who wasn't my race and they wanted to know me. And, and I keep saying, it wasn't pretty. You know, when people want to say, hey, can I touch your hair? No. You know, can you tell me more about this? Can you tell me more about this? Do all black people know each other? No, we don't. <laughs> but nevertheless, when they're reaching out to me and they're like, Aaron, we want you to see this movie. And, and the first movie I, I saw with them uh, was, uh, never forget, I was rolling on the floor laughing. It was a great movie. Uh, Cheech and Chong, Up in Smoke. And uh, we were sober. (laughs) I was sober. Uh, We had fun. Then a couple hours after that, you know, we're watching Blood In, Blood Out. And it's just like, see, y'all know, y'all know. Oh, y'all know. (laughs) But from that, I I didn't have a clue uh, really what was happening. But um, there's another book really impacted me. And I I didn't find this book until much later in life uh, from Stephen Covey. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. The fifth habit that he talks about is uh, seek first to understand then to be understood. When you do that, there's something that's different that happens. When you can suspend your own quest for your own territory, area, way of thinking, and you can understand where someone else comes from, something changes in you. And in that time in my life, I went from really being super pro-black nothing else matters except me and my race and my identity to realizing there was a world far outside of myself. Not only was there a world out there that had the same amount of pain, there was a world that needed me, not the black me, but me to be a part of it, to be a hand in it. And all of this really brings us to what we're talking about today in terms of reconciliation and our big idea where we want to essentially make it in style to reconcile. Because within the kingdom of God, there's purpose within this room. There's purpose within all of us. And none of us can accomplish everything that God has intended for us without the help of someone else that's in this room. So with that, bring it to Doug. Thank you, Aaron. So,
0: I've asked Aaron to hang around just for a little bit to chime in every once in a while as uh, we come to some things that I want to hear from him about. But we want to make it in style to reconcile. I like the word reconcile because that means we're actively doing something to bring people uh, together. But where we start is, is that we want to embrace a theology of diversity because as Christ followers, we're looking to the Bible, the word of God to uh, give us the foundation for our lives. And many people would say that they're okay with people from other races until you get to that watershed issue at the grassroots level, which is, interracial marriage. You find out what someone really feels about another skin color when someone in the family wants to marry someone else who is different. And what you'll see in a lot of very religious folks, in fact, we saw this in the white supremacists who were marching in Charlottesville, is that they will try and take an obscure passage from the Old Testament of the Bible and twist it and make it say that the races should not intermix. Let me show you one of the passages that they'll use. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 3 that says, "Do not intermarry with them and don't let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. They will lead your young people away from me to worship" other gods. And I think the last part of that verse is what helps us to interpret it rightly. That is not about different skin colors, but it's about spiritual incompatibility. So what uh, the Bible is saying there is that don't let your young people be led astray by this uh, particular group of people of, uh, of a pagan spirituality there. Now, we see also in the Old Testament that Moses married a Cushite woman, we see this in Numbers chapter 12. Look at verse 1. It says, while they were in Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he married a Cushite woman. I mean, what is a Cushite woman? Not a Cushy woman, but a Cushite uh, woman. That is a woman from the land of Cush. Cush is modern-day Ethiopia. So guess what color Moses' wife was? She was black. Moses had a black wife Miriam and Aaron criticized him for marrying a black woman, and how would God feel about that union or about uh, the criticizing of, of Moses for marrying a black woman? We see the answer to that question in Numbers chapter 12, look at verse nine. The Lord was furious with them, with Aaron and Miriam, and he departed, and as the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, Miriam suddenly became white as snow with leprosy. So what we see there is that um, God is pretty angry at this racial prejudice in this point. And he's like, Miriam, you want only white? I'll give you really white skin with leprosy on it. Unless you think that black is always a color for sin and uncleanness in the Bible, we see a clear reference here to something being white and being unclean. So uh, God is saying, hey, I want you to make it in style to... Reconcile. And uh, look, I'm a white guy, and I might have a little bit of Cherokee Indian in me. I don't know. I'll find out because for Christmas, I got one of those 23andMe DNA tester kits, you know, so I sent it off. And that's that's stuff white people like to do, right? (laughs) Right. We just want to find out all the variations of white that we are, you know. White people love minivans. White people love those bumper stickers that say, My kid's an honor student. We like farmers markets. I mean, I could go on and on, all the stuff that we like as, as white people. But I'm a white guy. Uh, with a white daughter. And if you ask me the question, would you let your daughter date and or marry uh, a guy of a different color, I would have an answer for that. Aaron, my friend here, is a black man. He has a beautiful daughter that's fairly new. Uh, that is baby Jessica there. And so um, if you ask Aaron, would you let your daughter date or marry a guy who is of a different skin color? And our answer is in unity, we would both say no, because no boys are allowed to date our daughters. That's the, that's the, that's the thing. Aaron, tell
1: the folks what you told me about your daughter's future profession. Uh, my daughter's gonna be a nun. <laughs> Ain't none of your boys gonna be rolling up. and none of your boys gonna be around. Just try and roll up. I'll be on you like lightning and the thunder
0: that makes two of us. None of y'all are allowed to date my daughter is, is the deal. But should someday we have to cave on that? We want our daughters to marry men that are men of God, men that are not materialists, but who have a job. And we want our daughters to marry men that root for the San Antonio Spurs. God, we don't ask for much. <laughs> But these things we do ask, and the reason we look at this is because of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, says, the Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart, see? And so if we have a theology of diversity, we look at people's hearts, not their exteriors here and not the color of their skin, and when we embrace Uh, interracial marriage. We make it in style to reconcile. But another thing I want to show you today is that we reconcile by making an impact on systems of oppression. So what that involves is systems where you at your jobs and in your communities and uh, where you go during the week, if you have an influence on systems of hiring, systems of application for housing, systems of application for education, Anytime you can influence any of those systems to allow for diversity, do so. Make it a system that is welcome to people of every different uh, background and color. Another thing I wanna show you today is reconcile by refusing to believe a single story. There was a TED Talk that made an impact on me called The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda Adichie. She's a Nigerian author and she came to America to go to university, and she had a white roommate. And her white roommate said, well, uh, could you let me listen to some of your tribal music? And uh, uh, Chimamanda said, well, what do you mean? Like, uh, I listened to Mariah Carey. I mean, do you want to listen to that? You see what's happening there is that her white roommate had believed a single story that everyone from the African continent is uneducated and listens to tribal music and lives out in a hut in poverty or something like that. And that's just simply not the case. It's not true. And so, Aaron, would you tell us uh, if there have been times where you have had someone believe a single story about you?
1: Yeah, thanks, Doug. For for me, you know, I'll talk with some of my friends, and they'll say, uh, you know, they'll find out I play a musical instrument, and I play the drums, and I say, oh, what type of music do you like to play on the drums? And I'll say, well, you know, I'm a child of the 90s, so Pearl Jam, 311, Breaking Benjamin, Stain, and they're like, whoa, 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 anything else? I'm like, Chili Peppers, and they're like, well, anything else? And I'm like, well, what do you think? You know, it's like, yeah, I do like R&B and and hip hop but that's the music, that's the main music I like. I said, well, really, what I really like playing is System of a Down. I mean, oh my goodness, you know. And they're, and they're like, <gasps> <laughs> and, and yet, you know, it, it, does, it, it still amazes me where we're at, but yet people still can't embrace the fact that people of different generations, different skin colors have already embraced other parts of other cultures. So, Doug. Thanks, Aaron. So uh, what we want to do is understand the full story, not
0: just believe the single story, the line that we've been told according to stereotypes and the like, because those single stories lead to a lot of misunderstanding in relationships and further Division. See? So since today we're celebrating the grand opening, the cameo, I want to kind of give you a little more of the full story of the cameo theater that we love. Now, we've been worshiping here for a number of years, but uh, in recent years, we renovated because we purchased the property. And we love this place because, as many of you have heard me say before, it's the first African-American theater in San Antonio where African-Americans could come at the front door and didn't have to come into the colored entrance uh, in the back like what was common uh, back in the day. Um, in fact, some of you know that musical greats Fats Domino and B.B. King played right here on this stage, as did Louis Armstrong. Uh, then years later, it became a rock and roll club where Metallica and Nirvana played. I found out this last week that Anthrax actually played up here, as did the Butthole Surfers, and uh, which... Uh, uh, <laughs> I never thought I would talk about that band in church, but they like they gave us a shout out on Instagram one day. So, anyways, they played uh, right here. But our building next door, this historically known as the Zumbro Building, and that's where some of you are worshiping right now in the Video Cafe. In the second and third floors of the Zumbro Building, our children are in Kid City right now. Uh, but um, wh- wh- what you don't know, some of you, about the building next door is that it used to be a bordello or a whorehouse. So um, now we're just spreading a different kind of love over here, you know? And so... <laughs> fun. Um, fact... I was talking with a woman in our church that uh, her, she wasn't allowed by her parents to cross the tracks to come to this side of the tracks, on the west side of the tracks, where the cameo was, because of the bordello there. And one day she came up and she said, Pastor Doug, can I go up in there? I want to see what it looks like up there. She felt so naughty going up into Kid City, uh, seeing what that was like. Um, but I've had the privilege over the years that we've been here to meet some very amazing people um, in and around. Our community, and one of those people is Lida Smith. Lida, as a teenager teenage girl, worked in the ticket booth here at the cameo uh, then she would she would come after school worked 30 minutes in the ticket booth, and then she would go over to the concession stand and work in the concession stand. And that's the men's restroom today. So Miss Lida, I invited her to come to church today, and she came to our 10 o'clock service. And after the service, I met with Miss Lida, and we went into her old ticket booth and reminisced. About her days of working the ticket booth uh, here at the Cameo Theater, that was a wonderful time. Um, and then I had the privilege, uh, or I forgot to tell you something that Light had told me in the ticket, about the ticket booth is that she would work here, she would make sixteen dollars and forty-five cents a week, and then she would get home, and her mom would say, "Hand it over, right?" She'd uh, take all the money. But then uh, I met a woman named Nettie Smith, and Nettie told me that she had come to the cameo as a child, and she would go to Nine Cent movies as a little girl. Uh, some of you may not know that Nettie was the first African-American female to graduate from the University of Texas at Austin, and she also marched with Dr. King. And so I was very interested to hear... yeah. So she had all these fun memories of the cameo here because she could come into the front door and just down the street at the Majestic Theater, she always had to go into the colored entrance in the back. And uh, she was she was telling me that one day in recent days, she went to a she, she was a part of a choir presentation at the Majestic, and so her and her choir group went back to the Majestic, and she actually had to go in the back door again because now the back door is the door to the green room. And she took the program from that choir presentation at the Majestic, and she took it to her mother's grave over here at the historic cemetery, the historic African-American cemetery on the east side. She put it on her mother's grave, and she said, Mama, you're never going to guess where I got to sing today. And I thought to myself, brothers and sisters, we've got to make sure this place stays a place where everyone can walk through the front door, right? Yeah. So... Another person that I had the privilege to meet here in the inner city of San Antonio has become a good friend, and that would be Pastor Jubal Garcia, um, who you heard teach here not too long ago. I think I see Jubal back there. Is that you, Jubal? Just kind of wave. There's my brother. I asked him to come. So welcome, <laughs> welcome back, bro. But so remember that day, Jubal, when I came to Metanoia Church. This is Jubal's church right over here on the inner city west side. And it's primarily Hispanic, uh, uh, even, I think, more Hispanic than our church, which our church is majority Hispanic here. But um, he said, Well, Doug, would you stand up and say a few words? And so uh, as I'm about to stand up, he introduces me and he says, You know, Pastor Doug is an honorary Mexican. (laughs) To which I said, Orale, right? (laughs) Because I love. Uh, that part of our city, and then not too far from from us, right over here, there's an AME church. And I was mentored in race relations by a Pastor Raymond Bryant. And uh, Pastor Bryant, that's he and his wife uh, there in the picture, uh, is now a denominational leader in the AME denomination. And the first Sunday after the Charleston shooting, in a show of solidarity, I wanted to go and worship at the AME Church. And so I went, and they appreciated that I came, and Pastor Brian asked me if I'd just stand up and say a few words there. And what you got to understand about the AME church is it's a talk-back church, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where if you're teaching, they talk back at you, and they kind of let you know how you're doing, you know? So I would stood up to talk a little bit, and then I went on one of my normal rants that you guys hear me do from time to time. You know, I'm like, the kingdom of God uh, should be made up of uh, everybody from bikers to bankers. And someone's all, Hep him, Lord. And then it's like, well, the kingdom of God should be everybody from PhDs to GEDs, right? Someone, I get a few... Amen. On that one. I was like, Amen. Right? The dude on the organ's warming up, you know. And then I, I, I go full on. It's like the kingdom of God should be made up of every different age, race, and walk of life. And it's like, Parachute, white boy. Dude on the organ's like, ur, ur, you know, <laughs> loving it.
1: <laughs> Fantastic.
0: But what I learned from Pastor Bryant in a unique way is that if we wanna reconcile, we reconcile, some of us, through forgiveness, see? Through forgiveness. And they were honoring that day, the Emmanuel Nine. You remember the Emmanuel Nine? A man went into their church and shot them and killed all of them. And that day, AME churches all over this country were mourning from what happened at Mother Emanuel in Charleston. And that particular... Uh, day I was thinking about Nadine Collier and I looked her up because she's the daughter of 70 year old Ethel Lance who was slaughtered that day and um, she was at the hearing of the shooter Dylan Roof and at that hearing can you imagine I want you to just put yourself in her place for a minute she was looking into the eyes of the man who had just killed her mother And I thought, what would I be thinking? What would I want to do if I was standing there looking in the eyes of the man that shot and killed my mother? And I can tell you this, that my reaction would not have been quite as godly as hers. And I want to show you what Nadine Collier said on screen. She said, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I'll never ever hold her again. But I what? Forgive. Forgive you and have mercy on your soul. And look, if you've been the victim of racial profiling or racial crime or hate or racial slurs, I want you to look at me just for a minute. The way you can make it in style to reconcile is to look into someone's eyes and forgive them. And what I wanna do is an exercise that we do in recovery very often. I want you to imagine just for a minute that I'm the person who oppressed you and hurt you. Can you imagine that person just for a minute and imagine it's me and I want to say something to you. I want to say that for every system I've created that's kept you down, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? For for every racial slur that I've spoken towards you that made you feel demeaned, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? For my racial actions, just uh, uh, those that were intentional and also the more subtle microaggressions that just jabbed at you and wounded you in your heart. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And so could together we say those words? I forgive. Ready? Here we go. I forgive. And isn't there healing in forgiveness? See? the reason that you and I can forgive is because we've been forgiven by God. The whole gospel is about making an end style to reconcile. It's being reconciled to God. That's why Jesus came. The whole scripture is about that because all we like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so uh, all of us, All of us like sheep have gone astray. That means black sheep, white sheep, brown sheep, every kind of sheep has gone astray, right? But the beauty of the gospel is in Galatians chapter three. Look at verse 27. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have been made like him. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all Christians. You are all one in Christ Jesus. See, we're brought together as one family. perhaps someone wants to receive that today. So during our prayer moment, we're going to invite you guys, if you'd like, if you feel comfortable to do so, to come and literally kneel at the front and pray for racial reconciliation but some of you are praying for all forms of reconciliation someone here today in your 21 days of prayer it's like your marriage is hanging on by a thread and you want to pray for reconciliation in your marriage relationship others have estranged teens or children uh, others of you are struggling with some type of an addiction and you want to pray for God's freedom to come in your life and help you others of you are spiritual investigators and you don't even know if God is legit or for real or out there or on Jupiter or on Earth or where he may be. And perhaps you want to come and kneel and pray and say, God, if you're really there, I want to be reconciled into good relations with you. Some of you have struggled and made sin mistakes, and you'd be the first one to raise your hand and say, God, I jacked up. And you may want to come and humble yourself before God and say, look, God, I want to come back to you. I'm your child. I've strayed away, but I want to come home today. And so come kneel and pray. So let's stand together as we worship some of you who feel comfortable to do so and compelled by God's spirit, join me at the front to kneel and pray. Lord, just for a little bit, we want to bask in your presence and enjoy it. And I thank you for some who are uh, kneeling here who have like connected with you and experienced you in a fresh way. Like perhaps they've not felt you or sensed you in a long time. And Lord, one of the things that we know about you is you're like a good father. So when we come before you in prayer, And we ask you for a fish, you're not like going to give us a snake or something. Or if we ask you for an egg, you're, you're not just giving us a stone. You're so good. You're so good to your kids. And today you're like collecting tears in a bottle because our hearts are so important to you. All of our hearts. Your sheep are ones that sometimes you have to pick us up and carry us through things. And I pray that by your spirit, you would carry us through some of the trials that some of us are enduring. And others of us that have known you and known you for a long time, I pray you'd revive our hearts, that we would uh, remember the significance of the cross and pick up ours and follow you. And sometimes it won't always be in vogue and easy to seek reconciliation, whether it's racial reconciliation or marriage reconciliation or just friendship, reconciling. But I pray that we'd be a people that leave our gifts at the altar and go and make things right. That we don't just sit, but we go. And I thank you for all that you're doing in our church and among us. You're restoring us, not just restoring buildings, but restoring our hearts and our souls. And for that, we give you ultimate kind of credit. You're just so over the top good and we can't thank you enough. And we pray all of these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Well, you guys can go ahead. Thanks up. for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.